This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, this is the 60th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, and it's another installment in the cold and flu season series. And I don't have the technological know-how to de-rasp my voice, so this is what you get. But regardless, it's more about the content than the delivery, I suppose. Thank you for listening, by the way. 60 episodes. That's pretty exciting. Every Friday for the last year plus, I've been able to put one of these out, and I appreciate everyone who listens, everybody who downloads, everybody who subscribes, and especially those of you who have left those five-star reviews and uh, the ratings on iTunes. That's some good stuff. If you haven't done that yet, please, if uh, the opportunity avails itself, go ahead and do that. I would be much appreciative. Well, this is the 60th episode, as I already said, and as I've done with every other 10th episode um, in the the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and now 60s, um, I have interacted with feedback and emails and comments and things like that from folks who not just listen to the podcast, but read the website. And uh, once again, I mention this all the time, you know, the, the writing, I think that's the good stuff. Not that the podcast is bad, but uh, the podcast is really just an extension of the writing. The podcast is an adjunct to the writing. So if you like one, you probably like the other. And I can appreciate that it's a lot easier to digest a podcast, especially something in the format that I do, you know, 20 minutes long. There's some awesome long-form fly fishing podcasts out there, hour and a half, two hours, and I listen to them. I listen to them on one and a half speed, and I listen to them, and they're great. I want this to be short and quick and quippy and give you something to listen to um, while you're sitting in traffic or while you're folding laundry, as I've said before. So I'm interacting with some feedback from both the website and from the podcast. The first one 
is an email from John, and John is writing in response to an article called Fly Fishing Sideways. Fly Fishing Sideways is actually a story about me falling down. There's a lot of these stories on the website. So uh, this is what John writes. He says, great posts. I'm a holdout and probably incredibly stubborn. I still fish my neoprene waders, 3 millimeter in late spring, summer, and 5 millimeter in the fall, winter, early spring. I don't know. I just like them, especially for fishing from a float tube. In summer, if the water is cool enough for waders, I just wear a pair of shorts and deal with a little sweat. Otherwise, we wet weight. Are they warm? Sure, but they do not leak. Take a beating and just keep going season after season. Someday, I'll switch to the breathables. Well, John, I was deriding neoprene waders in that article, uh, especially living in Virginia. They got to be way too much. But I've written somewhere that neoprene waders have a purpose. They truly have a purpose. And I think that that purpose is not extolled enough. Uh, There's some guys that swear by them, and they might be the steelhead guys. Uh, They might be folks who are maybe doing duck hunting on the side, and they're going to be very stationary. But the reality is, if you're going to be fishing and you're not moving a whole bunch, then neoprene waders are a great option, especially if you're fishing cold water. So that's wintertime, that's late fall, that's early spring, that's tailwaters, that's spring creeks. I mean, that's a lot of fly fishing right there. Really, the only things that are being excluded out of that are late spring, summer, early fall, and freestone waters. So you could make an argument that if you're not moving around a lot, the majority of fly fishing opportunities are decent circumstances that warrant using neoprene waders. Now, of course, you heard that caveat in there of moving around a lot. Even now, and certainly when I was younger, I move a ton. I am hiking, I am climbing, I am stretching, I'm doing things that I probably shouldn't do in order to retrieve $2.50 flies out of the stream bank and out of trees and putting my waders and my body in much more danger than $2.50 is worth. But all that hiking, all that climbing, all that stretching, all that bending, neoprene quickly became cumbersome. But I still have a pair of neoprenes in the attic, and I've used them recently. I was fishing for landlocked salmon as they were running uh, a couple of falls ago, and there was snow everywhere, and there was ice everywhere, and I was going to be fishing one or two holes. And so I brought those neoprene waders. I love my breathable waders. They're incredibly nice, incredibly expensive, all those things. They're comfy, but I knew I wasn't going to move, so I brought the neoprenes. Another great reason to have a pair of neoprene waders, and or I should say to not get rid of your neoprene waders if you upgrade to breathables, is that that's a good second pair of waders if you're getting somebody into fly fishing, especially if you're going to be fishing some of those high productivity seasons, so fall and springtime, and you're getting somebody into it, and they can, you know, in theory, fit into your waders, you don't want them to be uncomfortable. You and I might be a little bit more tolerable of cold water pressing from your waist down, but somebody who has not done it before might not enjoy that sensation as much. So neoprene waders are a good option. Additionally, um, if somebody fish out of float tubes, or if safety is a concern, neoprene is much more buoyant than breathable material. So 
I think neoprene is a great material. If you aren't moving as much, if you are older, if you're fishing primarily for salmon and steelhead, like those might be your salmon and steelhead waders because um, you might f find one pool or one run that you want to fish and you're going to fish that all day. You're not going to be moving. You're not going to be generating enough body heat to get sweaty. You probably will generate more heat getting sweaty in your waders walking to the river than you will fishing. So neoprene waders are awesome. That being said, five millimeters is intense. I've never fished in five millimeter waders. I don't think I even have wader booties that are five millimeters, but apparently John uses those and to great success. So certainly more power to you. The next feedback comes from Alex, and he is writing in response to episode 56 of the podcast, the first interviews of the podcast. So that is where I interviewed my two oldest boys, Timothy, who is seven, and Daniel, who is five. And they had a blast. I had a lot of fun. That uh, podcast generated a lot of traffic. At that time, it was the most listened to podcast that we'd recorded, probably just because of aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and things like that. But still, it was a lot of fun. And this is what Alex says. Alex says, great first interview. You might not ever be able to top it. Sounds like you've done a good job getting your boys into fly fishing. Any tips on starting young ones out? I've got a three and a half year old, so next spring, summer will hopefully include lots of daddy daughter day trips to get her interested. That's awesome, Alex. I certainly encourage you to do that. And the answer is yes. I have a ton of information, and I put a link to uh, three articles on the bottom of the 56th podcast, the first interviews of the podcast, uh, that he could check out or that anybody can check out. Uh, I'll probably do a introducing your kids to fly fishing podcast sometime in the winter time. It's a great time for it, but I wanted to give a couple of ideas that are non-traditional uh, in, in today's podcast, things that are not fly fishing things, because obviously the best thing you can do is get your kid out there, but unless you're living in the deep south or in a very special climate, chances are you're not going to go fly fishing in January, which is when this podcast is being recorded. Probably not in February or March for that matter either. So here's what I would do. Think about what kids do these days. And of course, every family is different and everything's different, whether your kid's a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, or a 12-year-old. But think about what a lot of kids do these days. And obviously there's a bad side to everything and there's a good side to everything. But YouTube videos. They watch YouTube videos about cartoons and video games and toys. And what do they do? They get hyped to actually go watch that cartoon, play that video game, buy that toy because they saw someone doing it on YouTube. The way that media works today is just unfathomable compared to uh, what I grew up with you know, 25, 30 years ago. But that's what they're into. So find some fun fly fishing YouTube videos and show them. Show them the Bill Dance bloopers. Uh, show them even sizzle reels for product demos. I mean, that kind of stuff, if it shows them with maybe some pulse-pounding music and uh, a little bit of uh, drama, kind of the fun side of fly fishing from a very uh, you know subjective perspective, then that's a great way to kind of get them thinking about it. Secondly, show them your gear. You know, have them touch it. You know, hand them a fly rod. You know, hand them a reel. Have them play with it. Help them... Uh, go through your fly box and very carefully have them be a part of reorganizing your flies. I remember one of my earliest fly fishing memories with my first son was I was reorganizing my fly box and my kitchen table 
was just covered in flies randomly strewn about. And he would point to one and ask what it was, and he would point to another one and ask what it was, and I would not just tell him what the fly was, but I would maybe give him a memory of that particular fly if I knew that that was a fly that was in my fly box for years, or a time I used a fly like it to catch something. Things like that create a tangible touch point for your child and fly fishing. And so is it fly fishing itself? Absolutely not. But what is it doing? It's planting those seeds. And so there may be a higher tolerance when they're there and they're not catching fish, or it maybe takes a little bit of time for them to catch fish, and it builds up some anticipation. So they are waiting for the springtime. They are waiting to get out there. The third thing I'd say, so it was the first thing was YouTube. Second thing was stuff. Third thing, fly fishing show. I go to the fly fishing shows, and I'll talk about those again. I've talked about them before. I go to do casting across stuff. I go to help out buddies that are industry folks. I go also because I just have a lot of fun looking around, but I bring my boys, and they get stickers, and they bring a little bit of allowance money, and they buy some flies, or they buy some hats, or things like that, but it's just a lot of fun for them to interact with people, and regardless of your thoughts on the fly fishing quote-unquote industry or quote-unquote community or whatever you want to say, there's a lot of good people and a lot of cool stuff, and something the fly fishing industry, I feel, is very cognizant of is how the periphery demographics are kind of a target demo. So obviously we have women and minorities and children are people that are being targeted in in some way, shape or form. Now, as to the particulars of how that's being done as different uh, incentives and, and different programs and things like that, that's not what I want to talk about. Don't necessarily have a lot of great things to say about that. But what I think is good is that personal awareness, whether it be people who are just hanging out or whether it be uh, exhibitors or demonstrators at these shows, they have that in their mind and in their hearts. And I think that is good where they take the time to talk to the child. They take the time to talk to the person that doesn't look like everybody else who's there because that is a real normal human way that blows any sort of uh, program out of the water as far as reaching out to people. And that's something I have experienced as I've brought my boys there. I mean, they see guys and women that I know in fly fishing, and so they know the people at the fly fishing shows, the people that own the companies and that are selling the products and that are doing the demos, they know me, they know I know fly fishing, but they still take all the time to talk about fly fishing with my boys. And so that's been really big. Obviously, something I'm passionate about, something I think is really cool, um, regardless of what you feel about the fly fishing shows or not. You know, this is a great way to get your kids exposed. And again, build up some enthusiasm, build up some anticipation so that when spring finally does roll around, they are pumped and ready to go. And they're going to be sitting there looking at those flies, looking at those stickers from now until opening day. I guarantee it. But stay tuned for a podcast episode all about getting kids into fly fishing. It's not that I'm holding out information. It's just that I think it definitely warrants and deserves an entire podcast episode. So that'll be forthcoming. The third and final bit of feedback I want to interact with is an email from Jaren. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. J-A-R-E-N. Jaren, I believe. He says, Matthew, I came across your podcast about a week ago. I've enjoyed them and have been binge listening all week. I also enjoy the website and your kind of writing. I've learned a lot of good stuff. I am now 52 and have enjoyed fly fishing for most of my life. I lost my dad two months ago. He was my hero, mentor, and fishing buddy. 
I was going through some of his gear and found an old Cortland clicker reel. I decided to dig out my old Fenwick glass rod. It is an FF786 in mint condition. This was my first rod as a child. I read your article, Don't Fly Fish With More Than You Need, and I took your advice and purchased a Royal Wolf Triangle Taper and put it on Dad's old red Cortland reel. It looks great, and that line has brought an old Fenwick to life. Cast like a dream on the lawn. I have a question for you. I want to try the Blue Line Furled Leader by Appalachian Furled Leader Company that you also mentioned. Three foot length seems short. How much tippet are you adding? I hope I didn't sound long-winded. Thanks again for the great podcast and wonderful website. I look forward to much more in the future. Thanks, Jaron. Jaron lives in Utah. Well, thank you for the email and for your kind words. I'm sorry to hear about your father. And it sounds like he's going to kind of be with you literally with that fly reel as you are going fishing, um, not just with his reel, but with a rod that you probably use fishing with him. So that's a really cool connection. It is never going to replicate the experience of being with somebody, but to have those tangible reminders is really the best that we can do. And so that's very, very cool. Plus, it's some good gear. I mean, a a Fenwick fiberglass rod, I've got a handful of them from the 60s that are still great. Of course, I wasn't around back then, but I'm using them now and I like them. And of course, those Cortland clicker reels, they're as good as any click Paul reel you're going to use today. And thank you for taking my advice with the Royal Wolf Triangle Taper. It's a great, great fly line. One of my favorite fly lines for bamboo or for slower fiberglass. I love it. Y'all should check it out if you are looking for a good line for that uh, style of fly rod. But on to your question. The Appalachian Furled Leader Company Blue Line Furled Leader. I'll talk about that leader more in a second here. But it is a three-foot-long, 36-inch furled leader and his question is that seems short and it is short it's very short in fact but you can add i would say between three and five feet of tippet onto the end of that leader using a loop-to-loop connection you can buy them with with tippet rings and simply with a woven loop i would suggest the woven loop especially if you're going to be using it as a small trout stream leader because that gives you a little bit more flexibility. You can lube that up with uh, their mountain wax that they sell. It's a lot like otter butter where you can get that furled leader to float really, really well. And it's essentially an extension of your fly line only with a very, very minimal impact on the water's surface. It's a lot like a butt section of a leader essentially. But that furled leader is formulated to turn over another three four or five feet of tippet and with the blue line leader i will use 4x or 5x and with a small streamer like uh, something in 8 10 12 or 14 or an, a small nymph but more likely than not a dry fly that's probably 12 14 16 i can turn that over no problem now, if I get any smaller than that, if I get to like a size 18 dry fly or a really tiny midge, which or I don't really do a lot of fishing like that um, on mountain streams anyway, or a tiny nymph, similarly, I don't do a lot of small nymph fishing on mountain streams, then I do have to trim it back and fish more of that three foot. But depending on the types of the pools that you're fishing, I mean, if they're plunge pools, then having only three feet out there is not going to be a problem. If they're smaller pools, you're able to make that cast. And just remember that you're going to need to use the finesse that you would use normally. You don't have to fish any different with these furled leaders. But 
I like them. I think you'll like them too, Jaron. Give them a try. Some people don't like furled leaders. They don't like the way they feel. And I think just like with fly line and with fly rods, it is a preference as to your casting stroke. I've actually found as I've fished more and more and more furled leaders that I prefer them and they fit my casting stroke more than a traditional just monofilament straight leader, whether it be hand tied, which I do, or bought. There are some circumstances where I still use a hand tied monofilament or fluorocarbon leader, but by and large, I'm fishing for leaders now and almost exclusively from Appalachian for a leader company. So give it a try. If you don't like it, you're out only a few bucks. They're not particularly expensive and you can mess with that length of tippet and you can find something that works for you. But once you try it and figure out your casting stroke, I think that you'll probably like it. As always, thank you so much for reaching out. That's just a sampling of some of the emails and the feedback that I've received over the last uh, 10 weeks. If you ever have a question, comment, accusation, whatever about Casting Across, whether it be the podcast or the website, please do not hesitate to reach out. I am more than happy to interact. And as I've said before, I do my best to reach out uh, to everybody who interacts in any way with the website, whether it be social media or whether it be on the website itself with the stories, with the podcast, things like that. If you haven't heard back from me, it is a website issue because I I think I'm at the point now where at least for the last few months, I've responded to everything. So if you didn't hear back from me and if you emailed me, then let me know because I promise I've responded. It's just that your junk filter doesn't like my email address. This week on Casting Across, two articles. The first was called Last Cast of the Year 2019. This is being recorded on January 2nd of 2020. I can't believe that we're living in the future. But Last Cast of the Year 2019 is actually an anthology piece looking at the three top red articles of 2019. So if you are a regular reader or listener, then there's only a little bit of new stuff. I wrote a little bit of a post that's before the uh, links. But if you're new to the website, these are some good articles to read because a lot of other people liked them, and that's a pretty good metric if you ask me. It also lists my top-rated podcast, which was a total surprise to me. So if you're new to the podcast, then you know go listen to this podcast that I list in the last cast of the year 2019, and do let me know if you like it or not. The Wednesday article was called Nine One-Sentence Fly Fishing Stories. So this is pretty cool, and this came to me in a moment of genius, or at least a moment of, hey, this would make a good New Year's Day post. So you know how on Instagram you can do the whole top nine? If you're not on Instagram, what it is is it's the nine pictures that got the most likes throughout the year. And the last quarter of 2019, it was really kind of hard to figure out what pictures were getting a lot of likes because they took that counter off. Uh, It's not as easy to see anymore, which is kind of cool, actually. I I like not having it there. But they created this little collage of the nine pictures that got the most pop on social media. So for me, no surprises, brook trout and gear are what's on there. So what I did is I did nine one-sentence stories. This is a thing. People do it on the internet all the time. I'm sure it's been around from long before the internet, but that's where I found out about it. So there are nine pictures, nine one-sentence stories about what the picture is. So check that out on castingacross.com. 
As I alluded to earlier, this week's recommendation is Appalachian Furled Leader Company. Now, I know I have referred them before on the podcast, but I wanted to circle back around, particularly because I think that now is the time for you to hop on and grab something for this coming season. They actually have packages. Uh, so if you go to their website, I'll put a link to this page. It's um, uh, called Packages. They have one called the General Angler Package. If you fish trout, then this is what you want. There is an all-purpose furled leader, which is 64 inches long, so this is much longer than the leader that Jaron was referring to. And then there's a the blue line leader, which is 36 inches long, so three feet. So one would be for your normal uh, freestone fishing, tailwater fishing, and then there's the one for your mountain trout fishing. It also comes with a little tub of mountain wax. 25 bucks. It's on sale uh, right now as of the time of the recording of this podcast for those two liters. So $12.50 each, plus you get the little tub of wax, or 10 bucks each and $5 for the wax if you want to fish floating flies. But again, if it fits your casting stroke, you're going to absolutely love it uh, because I think it lays a fly down much more delicately. I think that picking up dry flies off the water, it creates less of disturbance. I think that it turns over puffy dry flies a lot better than a traditional leader. But again, I would say this is something that is dependent upon your casting stroke, like any rod, like any line, but it's definitely worth checking out. And 25 bucks is a great thing you can experiment with. There's also a big meat streamer package. I don't want to go through everything they have there, but this one's awesome, especially if you fish bass poppers. This turns over a bass popper like nothing you'd imagine. They are uh, three feet long. I add another three feet of straight fluorocarbon of like 10 pound test or, or 12 pound test or something like that. And this turns over bass poppers beautifully, even when I'm sitting in a canoe, which is high praise because I am terrible in a canoe. Anyway, check that out. I'll put a link to Appalachian Field Lead Com- Leader Company on the bottom of this podcast page on castingcross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go in the pursuit of fish. anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.